yeah. That didn't age well. <laughs> My son came down for breakfast this morning and he said, you know, Dad, there is a reason some things are outdated <laughs> and unfashionable and I think he just was talking about my sneakers. But um, yeah, so um, I'm wearing weird clothes because our, our, our series title is Outdated Unfashionable Beliefs That Are Still True. And we've talked about several of these and, and I, I like the fun aspect here because what we're talking about is, is deadly serious. Two weeks ago, we talked about the reality of hell that God's word teaches. Last week, we talked about how God was the creator of all things. And, and this week, we're talking about the return of Jesus Christ. If you believe the Bible, everyone who believes God's word is, is true and the authority in our lives believes that Jesus is going to come back someday on a horse in the sky with a sword. Okay, There's, it's not updated with a jet stealth fighter, okay? Anything like that. And, it, and it, it is an idea that seems very out of date, but it's something that we believe is true. And so I want to just talk real quick. This is kind of what the Bible talks about um, as far as future events and past events. There's the Israel, and this is kind of condensed and simplified. So um, Israel started with Abraham over 4,000 years ago, and then Jesus came and uh, was born in a, and in a manger and died on the cross and was resurrected. We are in the church age now. Sometime in the future, Jesus will return for his church. Rapture is this belief that everyone who is a believer in Christ will, will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air um, at some point. And also there's a tribulation, the worst events and, um, and, and things that will happen on earth in all of human history during the tribulation, and then Jesus will return. There's a millennium where Jesus rules and reigns on the earth, and then the judgment of, of all people, and then going into eternity in heaven or in eternity in hell. There are things that Christians disagree about this up here. This is kind of our basic church's belief. Um, some people believe that Israel and the church are the same thing, um, and, and some people believe that the millennium and the tribulation are going on right now, and frankly, if Jesus is ruling right now on earth, I'm really disappointed. But some people believe he is. And, and so, so some of this is debated in Christian circles. But here's a couple things, four or five things that are not debated. It is not debated that Jesus came the first time, if you believe the Bible, and that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. It is not debatable that we are in the church age right now. It is not debated that Jesus will at some point return and that he will judge everyone, and then we will go into eternity. And so I, I want to focus on this morning what Jesus said about his return. And this is in Matthew chapter 24. There's a lot about Jesus' return in the Old Testament, and there's a lot that Jesus says about it in the New Testament as well. And here's just one of those passages. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. I'm going to show you a short video in a few seconds, a few minutes, um, to, to give you an idea of how crazy that would have sounded to the disciples. Um, but Jesus goes on to say, and it goes on to say, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately 
and said, tell us when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So they're like, really? Every stone in the temple thrown down? That's crazy. This is a picture of what the temple would have looked like in Jesus's day. It's enormous. It takes up 30 football fields. It was known as the eighth wonder of the ancient world, right up there with the pyramids and other things. You could have comfortably over 150,000 people in the courtyards of this temple. Over here, this is called the Stoa Basilica. Until modern times, it was the largest structure ever built in Israel. 160 pillars that were um, so big around, it took three men to put their arms around it. And um, they were each 30 feet high, and every pillar was hewn out of a single stone and transported there. I mean, th this place was unbelievable. In fact, as you look at it, you actually realize why it was destroyed 40 years after Jesus made this prophecy. Because when the Romans laid siege to Jerusalem, they rebelled against Rome, and they lasted for about four years until the Roman general Titus, who later became emperor, laid siege to the city. And, and this, after they broke through the walls of the city, the temple became an inside fortress. I mean, doesn't it look like a fortress? You know, that they then held the Romans off for even longer, and by the time they came in, they were so mad, they actually wiped out one historical source says they killed 1.1 million Jews when they conquered the city. Uh, others say it was hundreds of thousands, um, but, but then they, they spent weeks, if not months, tearing this thing apart, and not one stone stood on another. And um, this is the view coming into that, the, those courtyards toward the temple. This is the, the women's courtyard where this is the farthest in that women were allowed. Gentiles were not allowed in that part of the courtyard, non-Jews. And then this is where the priests did a lot of the sacrifices and you would bring your lamb in on Passover here. And then behind that curtain would be the holy place. And th this, this was 80 years in the making. This, the, the, these structures and all of that coated in gold. And inside this, the holy place where only the priests were allowed, um, they would do more sacrifices. And then that final curtain was what separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And the holy of holies, only one man, the high priest, who's pictured there on the right, only he could enter the holy of holies only one time in the entire year. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, but that had been lost over 500 years before Jesus' time. And so there's nothing in there. And this um, walkthrough kind of pictures the Dome of the Rock and, and what that looks like now for what's inside the, the Holy of Holies. So just to give you an idea of scale, this is the Wailing Wall that they pray at. And you might think, well, Jesus prophesied not one stone remains standing. They're still standing. His prophecy isn't true. But the wailing wall was not part of any of the temple buildings. It was part of the retaining wall built basically to fill in a flat area on top of this hill to make the temple. And so the wailing wall is, is this right here. That, that was the part of the entire temple. And it gives you kind of an idea of the scale of how enormous this was. So, so this discussion from Jesus, you know, this prompts the disciples to think, oh my word, that's like impossible. I can't believe that every stone would not be standing on each other. That's, that's crazy. And they said, Jesus, you got to tell us more. 
What are the signs of your return? And so his answer, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. And let me just say about the return of Jesus, there is so much junk out there meant to deceive and to just uh, make you fearful. And, and, and he says, don't, don't let anyone deceive you for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. And, and so it's interesting, as he talks through these things, he's saying, here's some things that do not show that I'm about to return. So false messiahs is not a sign of Jesus' return. He's saying, here, you know, that, that's, that's going to happen, but you don't need to be alarmed. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it, you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So he's saying, if you hear about wars on this earth, that is not a sign that I'm about to return. That just happens, and you don't need to be alarmed. And, and I love that statement because there's nothing more alarming to many Christians than talk about Jesus' return. And it shouldn't alarm us. We should be like, oh, this is awesome. God, right, bring it on. God has everything in hand. This is going according to his plan. The world is not off the rails, going in, you know, some direction that is out of control. God is still in control. Such things must happen, but that, that, that's not, don't, doesn't mean that the end is here yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. He's saying it's not the birth, which is, you know, imagery for my return. It's not even the hard labor that happens just before my return. This is early birth pains, and th these things, earthquakes, famines, wars, they're, they're not signs that my return is immediate. So what are signs that his return is immediate? For the next couple verses, he talks about six things, he says, that, that will happen. He says, then, Okay, after the, the, the early birth pains are over, now we're moving to a time where, okay, now this, this is what needs to happen before I return. He says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. What I'm going to do with these next six things that Jesus says is I want to talk about them, and, and then you can decide whether they've happened already or not. And whether there is anything left to be done on this earth before Jesus returns. And so, interesting thing about this, Christians are the most persecuted minority in, on earth, have been for centuries. Uh, more than any other, more than gays, more than, than blacks, more than, than any group you can think of in the world, Christians are the most persecuted group. But this is saying, you'll be hated by all nations. And, and this was not possible throughout most of human history because throughout most of human history, all nations didn't even know that Christians existed. Right? But, but now, you, you can debate this. Well, do all nations hate Christians? Certainly there are individuals within nations that, all nations that hate Christians. And, but I, I would say the propaganda machine and the media that, that is globally in place right now, if all nations don't hate Christians now, if this hasn't already been fulfilled, it can be fulfilled just, just as quick as that. Um, they tell, tell some story, it doesn't have to be true, just, just 
put some images on, just whatever, and, and all nations. So you can be the judge of this, whether this is fulfilled or not, but I think it's either been fulfilled or it could be fulfilled very, very quickly. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. He says, you know, when it's close for me to return, there's going to be a lot of deconversion stories. And, and one of the interesting things about people rejecting Jesus that I've noticed has shifted recently. Um, people have rejected Jesus. People have been raised Christians or have claimed or, or maybe made professions of faith and then rejected Jesus. They've been doing that since the beginning of the church. I mean, Paul even talks about Demetrius, the metal worker. He did me much harm. This is, a, you know, and people in the church who, who shipwreck the faith, as Paul talks about in one of his letters. And, and, and so this has happened forever. But what has changed just in the last 10 years is, is this. They don't just reject the Christian faith. They reject and they hate it. And they hate each other. Not all of them, but then, and then there's betrayal. Like, I want to I wanna just betray those who rate. Everyone is bad. You know, and maybe there's a few instances of my life who, of Christians that did the wrong thing, of churches or church leaders that were bad, but I, I, they're all bad. I want to betray. And, and, and he says, so you can be, the, I, I think this has been fulfilled. I think we're not waiting for this to happen before Jesus comes, but you can be the judge of that, whether that's true or not. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. There are 1.9 billion people on earth today that follow the teachings of the false prophet Muhammad. There are 16 million people who follow the false prophet Joseph Smith and his teachings. And that's not even to talk about little known cults that we're not so familiar with like Iglesia Ni Cristo, which has over 20 million followers of the false prophet Felix Manalo. And there, there is so much, I think this has already been fulfilled. Many false prophets deceiving many. And then because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I can't think of a more accurate description of Christianity in Europe, in North America, and frankly, in South America now increasingly. The love of most has grown cold. And this gospel of the kingdom, this is number five, of the six will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And again, this did not happen throughout most of Christian history because the whole world is a big place. And to preach the gospel to all nations would mean you have to learn their language, you have to translate God's word into their language, you have to. And so, if nations today means political, uh, geographic borders, this has already been fulfilled. And if nations means every single language group in the world has heard the gospel preached, then this has either already been fulfilled as well or will be fulfilled probably in the next couple years. Um, and, and that's one of the, the signs. And then the last sign, this one's a little confusing. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand and then I skip ahead to verse 22. In those days, if they'd not been cut short, no one would survive. And I think he's talking about the tribulation period there. But um, what does this mean? The abomination that causes desolation, Daniel. All of the disciples and any Jew living during this time would have immediately known, I know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, the abomination that causes desolation. 
In fact, if you would have asked them, what is the most humiliating, um, worst uh, period of time in Israel's history over the last 500 years, they would have all, any Jew in Jesus' time would have said, oh, that would have been the abomination that caused desolation. Worst, worst period of, of Jewish history in the last 500 years. What was that? Well, so Daniel is a book that was written um, over 400 years before Jesus is speaking here, and it predicted the, the fall of the Persian Empire, the rise of Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire, the fracturing of the Greek Empire under numerous generals and, and leaders, and then the fall of the Greek Empire, the rise of the Roman Empire. It was all predicted hundreds of years before it happened, and this is one of the greatest finds of the Dead Sea Scrolls because they have a, a copy of Daniel that, that was almost 200 years before Jesus and before this time. And, and it just drives atheists crazy because it's impossible that anyone could have predicted all of these geopolitical happenings ahead of time. Like, and, and so it really bothers them. Like, how did, how did Daniel get that right? But one of his predictions near the end of the Greek empire was that there would be a Greek ruler, and we know him as Antiochus Epiphanes, who would come and conquer Jerusalem and he, would, and, and he would do this, set up some abomination, and then there would be desolation. And what that was was Antiochus Epiphanes conquered uh, Jerusalem. He hated the Jews. And so he took a pig. Pigs were uh, socially and spiritually unclean. So to eat bacon for Jews of this time, and even Jews today, is for us it would be like eating a rat. You know, like you just don't do that. Um, and so he took a pig and took that pig into the Holy of Holies and offered it as a sacrifice to Zeus because he knew that would just make the Jews so mad and he hated Jews. And then that was the abomination. And then the desolation followed because he outlawed Judaism. He killed 80,000 Jews um, in his conquering and then he enslaved 40,000 more and outlawed practicing Judaism so that if a baby was found to be circumcised, he'd take the baby and take the mother and throw them off the highest wall to their deaths. And, and so any Jew during Jesus' day would be very familiar with this and they'll be like, yeah, that was terrible. But what Jesus is saying is before I come back, something like that will happen again some terrible spiritual abomination will, will be done and then there will be a desolation and a, and, a, and a slaughter that will follow it. And so he says, this is what's going to happen before I return. And so in all of this, um, there is a debate even in our church of, of when the rapture is of the church. And so some believe, I believe the rapture is at the beginning of the tribulation. Some believe it's near the near the, the middle or the beginning of the middle, and others believe it's right in the middle, others believe it's more toward the end. But, but this is something, not before the rapture of the church, but this is something before Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation. And uh, so there is a theory about how this may have happened already, but um, um, many, I, I would say this hasn't happened yet. And so, so these are things, that, that's, that's what's gonna happen before Jesus returns. What will characterize his return when he comes back? Jesus says at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah or there he is, don't believe it. For the Messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time, 
So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So a couple things about Jesus' return. One is it could be at any moment. Those things I mentioned before, they could happen very, very quickly, what Jesus talked about. And so you need to be ready. But here's the other thing about Jesus' return. It will be obvious. So Jesus is saying, it'll be like lightning. It'll be like, like you, you won't have to be on the inside to know. Okay, you, you could be, like, everyone will know when Jesus returns. The first time Jesus came, almost no one knew, right? There's invitations given to shepherds. A couple wise men figured it out. But for the most part, almost no one knew when Jesus came the first time. And Jesus is saying, it will be the exact opposite when I return. Everyone will know. Um, so don't be fooled. If someone says, hey, there's this guy and, and Jesus, we think Jesus has returned and he's doing these seminars and it's out west and it's remote area because that's what Jesus is going to do when he returns. He's going he's gonna to do seminars. So, but no, that, that, you, you don't even have to go. You just know. No, Jesus said it will be obvious. And then the other thing Jesus says is it will be met with great sadness. And this at first you're like, What? People will be sad, yeah, because when he comes, when he came the first time, he came to save us and to die for us. When he comes the second time, he comes to judge. And people will suddenly realize, oh, I'm the one who's on the wrong side of history. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man. It's a synonym Jesus often uses for himself in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And they'll say, we backed the wrong horse. We have been fighting against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who died for us and loved us and we've been hating him all along. And he will not be met with rejoicing, but great sadness. And it will be at an unknown time. The very next verse, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And that, you know, there's this theological thing. How could Jesus, the Son, who knows everything, not know this one thing, and somehow in his ability to do anything, he somehow took that knowledge and didn't have that knowledge, and only the Father knows it. But this is very important. About that hour, no one knows. And so I want you to humor me for a moment, okay? For the next three minutes, humor me. All right. The last verses of Daniel. Daniel is predictive of the future. Often days in Daniel mean years. And so this is the last verses of Daniel. From that time, the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days, but blessed is he who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. Do you know why the daily sacrifice does not happen in Jerusalem, in Israel anymore? Do you know why? because the Al-Ask Mosque sits on the place where the temple was. If it wasn't there, Jews would be sacrificing lambs all the time, and the temple would be rebuilt. And so some people believe that the building of the Al-Ask Mosque in 688 was uh, the, uh, the, the future abomination that causes desolation that Jesus predicted. And it has been a flashpoint. If you are a Jew, you cannot go into what used to be the temple 
and pray. It's illegal for a Jew to pray in the Al-Asq Mosque, which is the grounds of the temple. And, and so the Al-Asq Mosque was built in 688. He says, blessed is he who, who waits for and reaches 1,335 days, 1,335 years after 688, it's 2023. So Jesus is coming back next year, right? No, it's not right. Yeah, we don't know. Because Jesus said about that day or hour, no one knows, not even Pastor Bob. <laughs> not even him. And there are so many things like this. And I have heard them, you know, new ones and, you know, old ones. And some of them are quite captivating, blood moons. And some of them are pretty complex. And, and there will always be stuff like that. Don't fall for it. All right, Jesus could return at any time. He doesn't have to wait till 2023. And, and he could come in 2025. He could come in 2150, you know, AD. Like, no one knows. What part of no one knows do you not understand? So what a lot of people do is, so no one knows the day or the hour, but we can know the week <laughs> or the month or the year. This is a figure of speech. It means... No one knows. Yeah, you guys, you guys figure this out. So many, I mean, I've had people from this church even quietly, you know, approach me over the years and say, hey, did you hear about this thing and this prediction and this guy says Jesus is coming and, and what do you think? I, I, I think no one knows. That's <laughs> what I think. And if you want to contradict Jesus on that and say, Jesus, you don't know anything. Let me tell you about when you're going to return. Um, so, so just don't fall for that stuff. But then here's the most important question. How should we live? If Jesus can return at any moment, what should we do? Nowhere in all of Scripture, anywhere in Scripture does it say, you need to stock up on food, ammunition, uh, silver, and build a bunker in your, in your backyard. All right, it doesn't say that. In fact, if you do that and Jesus returns, you know what? He's, you're going to be ashamed because here's what Jesus says later in chapter 24. This is what we should be doing in light of the fact that he could return at any moment. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Part of a larger parable, don't have time to read it all. But basically, if you, we are servants of God, and when the master comes back, we better not be sitting on some hillside looking up, waiting. That is not what he's told us to do. He told us, Matthew 28, you will be my witnesses. He says, you need to go and make disciples of all nations and teach them, and, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've told you and I will be with you to the end of this age. And so last Sunday, Kelly Arndt was on mission doing what God wanted when she baptized her daughter here. And last Sunday, you, you know, um, others as well you know, doing that, following God. Here's got two questions to close with, and then I'm going to give an invitation. I'm going to invite you to come forward. If, if you have not gotten right with God, you need to not leave before you do that and, and surrender your life to him and, and make him your Savior and Lord. But if you've done that, but there's something in your life now that, that needs to, that, that's gotten between you and God and something's more important than this mission that he's given us to fulfill, then maybe you need to come forward as well. Even, even, if, even if you're here 
and you have a friend who has cancer or, or you've, you've gotten a diagnosis, you're, you have a child who's making terrible decisions, you want someone to pray for you, I want you to come forward. There's going to be individuals with little yellow cards at the front of the auditorium here at the end, and, and they will pray for you. But before we do that, just two questions for you to think about. What do you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Have you ever been caught doing something good? It's a good feeling. You're like, oh, it's supposed to be a surprise, but ah. What what do you want to be caught doing when Jesus comes back? Do you want to be writing to your Food for the Hungry sponsor child saying, I pray for you every night. I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he has a plan for your life and you're special and you need to trust him and follow him. And And then Jesus returns and he catches you doing that. Maybe you want to be Maybe you're in with the kids on Wednesday night in Voyager on Sunday morning and you're with the second graders and you're telling them the story about how Jesus came and, or you're telling them some Bible story about some principle from God's word and then Jesus returns. You're raptured up to meet him and he's like, man, that was awesome. I caught you serving me. Or maybe this, this week, there's someone in your small group or a friend of yours that you know that's going through a very difficult time and you give them a call and you say, hey, let's get together. And over coffee or over at your house or somewhere, you, you know, this person, they're just weeping because of the, the trial they're going through. And you're like, man, let me pray for you. And you put your arm around that person. You start saying, God, help deliver this person. And then he does because he returns and he catches you doing what he told you to do loving other people and following and serving him or you're dropping your kid off at youth group tonight at six o'clock and it's so out of the way to come back here in the evening you you know it doesn't even you know make sense for you to go home and come back again so you're in the parking lot and you decided i'm just going to pray for my teenage son tonight while he's in with the kids for two hours and then jesus returns and he catches you doing that what Is there anything, maybe you finally work up the courage to invite that person at work or that neighbor or that family member or that friend and you take that little car and you say, hey, the most important thing in my life, I don't know how to talk to you about it, but but the most important person in my life is Jesus Christ. It would mean the world to me if you would come with me to church next Sunday on Easter or maybe on Saturday night at six o'clock you know, come with me to church. And, and maybe Jesus catches you doing that, or maybe you're here Sunday morning on Easter, and, and your friend says, I need to talk to someone about accepting Christ. And you're able to, maybe with me, or maybe on your own, or with someone else, pray with your friend to accept Christ. And then Jesus returns and catches you doing that. If you are procrastinating on anything that you feel like God wants you to do, You need to do it today because we don't know if we'll have tomorrow. And honestly, this morning, as I was thinking about this, I thought there is one thing I've been procrastinating on and I need to do it this afternoon. And here's the flip side is what do you not want to be doing when Jesus comes back? This is a minor thing. I remember my my aunt and uncle who lived next door to us asked me to mow their lawn while they took a prolonged vacation to Czechoslovakia. And I mowed it early on while they were gone. And then I thought, who needs to mow it 
when it needs it. I'll just wait till the day before they come back and I'll mow it and I'll save myself. I mean, they're gone for a month. I'll save myself all this work, which I look back. It took like an hour, like an hour and a half maybe to mow their lawn. All this work I saved, you know. Here's the problem. Do you know what happened? They came back early. And I was embarrassed. They gave me an easy job to do. They said they'd pay me for doing it. And I didn't do it. And to their credit, he said, I can tell it was mowed once. <laughs> Here's part of the money. And I thought, I don't even want that money, you know. I took it. <laughs> so I was a teenager. But that feeling, right, that feeling of getting caught doing something wrong, you multiply that times a thousand, and that's how you'll feel. If you do that sin that you want to hold on to, that you haven't surrendered to God, and Jesus comes back while you're doing it. Don't, don't get caught. Be ready. Get ready this morning. It is one thing to make a decision in your mind. Low cost. Low benefit. It's another thing to come forward to talk to someone else and say, here's the decision I made in my mind. Higher cost, higher benefit. I just want to encourage you, make sure you get right with God today. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for your patience. It's because of your patience that you haven't wiped out every single human on earth already. It's because of your grace, because of your mercy. But God, your, your patience will not be forever. There will be a day where you come and you will set things right. And God, help us to be right with you when that day comes. Help us to be right with you right now. Because the truth is, even before you return for the world to judge the world, you'll come back for many of us one at a time. Doing a funeral on Monday. So often people think they have more time. God, we don't know. Help us, every single one of us, to be ready. And if there's anyone here who's never surrendered and given their life to you, just ask that you would help them and through the Holy Spirit empower them and open their eyes and enable them to pray with me right now. Lord, I I know and recognize that I am a sinner and I've done things wrong to hurt other people and to hurt you. And I cannot, I cannot fix that. I can't pay it back. I've tried, God, for years I've tried to pay for my sins, to be a better man, better woman, but I can. So God, I ask that you would just forgive me, that, that you would take my sin and the punishment for all of that and, and put it on Jesus Christ that he would suffer instead of, instead of me over 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. And God, out of gratitude for, for your forgiveness and for all that you've done for me, God, I give you my life today. I want you to be my Lord, my master, not just my savior, but I want to follow you from this day forward. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.